Welcome to the fourth edition of Studio Break. I'm your host, David Linaway. Today we'll be joined by Benjamin Gardner. We'll talk all about his painting and all about his love affair with Law and Order. So all that and more coming up. Welcome to Studio Break. Today we're joined by Ben Gardner. Um, ben received his BFA degree from Millican and his MFA degree from Illinois State University. Currently teaches at Drake University in Des Moines, and um, he's been there for a couple of years. So uh, I'd like to welcome Ben to the Studio Break podcast. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. So my, I have a tall list of questions for you, Ben, um, and some of them are really loaded, but I think you'll enjoy them. So my... <laughs> My first thing is, what is it? What is, what is your relationship to the Midwest? What is it to be from the Midwest? Because it seems like that's something that's, well, us and a, a number of other people kind of, I don't know, seem to kind of share some interest in that. So could you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that one of the uh, turning points in my life as it, as it is uh, was when I was trying to figure out my sort of background or my who I was as a person, where I came from, and sort of the culture that I had um, as, you know, as a person. And, and, I, and being, you know, somebody from the Midwest, that's kind of a difficult thing at, at times because uh, I would almost argue that the Midwest can tend to be sort of culture-less or not really prioritize where people come from, I guess, you know, in parts of Minneapolis or uh, even even northern Iowa or parts of southern Wisconsin, there's uh, northern European, uh, people of northern European descent that sort of focus on uh, living in little Scandinavia or little Sweden or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, you know, growing up in the place that I did, a very small town in northern Illinois, I just felt like I was just like everyone else and since from that point on I mean my dad is from uh, rural Appalachia and so that certainly has helped form my my cultural identity but I, I think that in being Midwestern I've, I've kind of tried to pick apart those things that are similar to Appalachian culture where um, you know as a kid a lot of times I was just sort of expected to hang out not really uh, there wasn't a lot to do, you know, I could walk to the park and I could slide down a slide, uh, but we didn't have much to do. We kind of had to just kind of hang out and listen to the adults talk. Um, and, and so that's sort of formed some of my, um, what I like to say are my hobbies of like sitting on a porch and just having conversations with people as opposed to like prioritizing going, you know, I've never gone to a club in my life. I couldn't even tell you what like a dance club looked like, or mean other than what I've seen on TV. So I think that that's certainly where I'm coming from with it. But I, I agree. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you and some of the other artists we know, like Bob Jones and Brian Kaepernickus, or, and even Bill Conger and Mike Willie, you know, it's not about sort of an aesthetic, I don't think, as much as it is just the way that, that we act uh, in terms of like a larger art market, uh, you know, art is almost something that we do for our own sort of personal uh, entertainment, I guess. And, I, and that sounds horrible. It makes it sound like we're, you know, like putting on a game show for everybody. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that at all. I just think it's something that we're very invested in 
and it's something that keeps us going and it keeps us engaged in the culture around us. Um, and it, and I think that that's, um, yeah, that's one of the things about being a Midwesterner. We don't have like the big flashy galleries of New York or LA. We don't have a lot of those, um, huge art fairs that the coasts have even like, um, you know, Miami has a huge fair now. We kind of do things ourselves. We're very self-reliant as a as a as a region in the United States, and I think it's something that kind of shows up shows up in our artwork. Sure, sure. Um, and so my 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 second question is: When you wake up in the morning, what kind of what kind of smoothie do you wind up making that fuels this? This painting machine, um, I, I, I got to say, because it's, you know, just just in terms of learning why it is that the, the first year somebody's teaching, they don't seem to be making a lot of work. It seems like you managed to just get all over it. Um, so could, could you could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, in terms not necessarily about the smoothie, but obviously, um, you know, how do you how do you manage to to balance all those things? I know that you have a lot of other responsibilities aside from obviously just being an artist. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> some of the hardest things for me. You mentioned the first year of teaching, and that was that was a pretty difficult time for me. It, it wasn't. It was actually pretty easy to make work, um, but the thing that I didn't <clears throat> do so well at was applying for exhibitions. And, uh, kind of had a dark period of a couple years where I just kind of refused to apply for things. I was grumpy about applying for things. I was sick of putting together applications. But um, more to the point, you're asking about uh, studio practice, and I, it's it's been something that I've been lucky to have. I don't. I, it started in undergrad, I think, uh, and it might have started from uh, one of my professors guilting me into going into the studio, but. It's something that's come really easy to me um, through since then, you know, since 1998 or 99, um, and almost to the point where um, I think people look at me and then they, they feel guilty, and I, and I hate that. <laughs> I, never, I never point fingers. I never am. I mean, I, I have to as a teacher, I suppose. I have to tell my students that they're not working hard enough, but uh, my friends, I've, I've just never wanted to do that. I've never... Right. Uh, it's never been my way, but, um, I, you know, the, the easiest way to talk about it, I think is that like, I, I am in the studio every day and I'm at, at the very least just putting like paint on a surface of some kind. I mean, sometimes it looks like a palette or something, or it looks like crap. You know what I mean? I'm not saying mm -hmm. I make good stuff every day, but I, it's, it's, you know, I've heard it. Yeah, you know, I've read it in like Gerhard Richter's book and other people's books that they're in the studio every day. Susan Rothenberg talks about it, um, and so I just have it's it's part of my makeup. You know, it's part of like going to the gym or something. I'm in the studio uh, at least for twenty minutes, thirty minutes every day. Right. Um, and then the the other thing is that I can I have to uh, talk about is that I have I'm very fortunate to have a, a spouse a partner that. Uh, understands where I'm coming from with this stuff because sometimes if I haven't seen Amy all day and I come home and I just want to be in the studio, it takes like a special kind of person to be able to sort of accept that, you know. Uh, sure. So I'm very fortunate to be married to the person that I'm married to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 
the obligations are right now I'm finding that I'm like actually loving being really busy. This is the first time it's ever happened to me. Um, I've got like a lot of things coming up in the next couple semesters. I get to run a couple prints, I think with some people and a couple of visiting artist gigs and stuff like that. So, and I, and I, you know, I'm stressed. Like I, I can feel that little unsettled stomach, but, uh, but it, it's great. I mean, I'm just really excited that people are responding to the work and, uh, it's, been nice to have to think about my schedule and maybe possibly turn some stuff down. So. Sure. Well, my next question is really just a, oh, another another lofty one, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I've seen obviously your work at various different stages, um, and you know, something that you kind of brought up a little bit, um, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but um, you know, just going to Illinois State University, there was the, that idea of work ethic is something that's instilled there. Um, I've met a lot of great people from Milliken, obviously mutual friends and people like that. So I know that that works through there, but could you talk a little bit about, um, I guess the evolution of your work and, and kind of how it's evolved. I've seen it in various stages of, uh, abstraction with representation. So, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I so just to sort of point out too that I shouldn't make some acknowledgments in terms of undergrad. It's uh, you know mostly the work of Lyle Salmi, who is my painting professor, and I. For the last two years of undergraduate, I had like the only classes that I can remember were uh, painting, drawing, and printmaking from nine in the morning till nine at night with Lyle Salmi, Tuesday Thursday. Um, and and when I when I started work there, I started in abstraction. I was. Uh, really keyed into painters like Cy Twombly and uh, Squeak Carnwath and Terry Winters and sort of the very visceral painting uh, and, and sort of manipulation of paint on the surface and, and sort of that search for painting. Um, and then when I went to graduate school, uh, the thing that I felt like I wasn't communicating enough or uh, was understated in my work was sort of my own personality. So I felt like I was making work that was kind of anonymous. Um, and then I started sort of putting in, I guess, I guess the easiest way to talk about it were rural imagery, like images from rural America, trying to get in some of that uh, background that I had going to Appalachia every year. Um, and just sort of the way that I grew up, not in a overly personal way, like not talking about that one year where I had the bike accident where I scraped up my knee or anything like that, but just sort of a, a general overarching idea of uh, growing up and being formed formed into this person that like was just fine with like playing in a creek or uh, you know walking to a neighbor's house and, and visiting with them. Um, so I started using this rural imagery and, and started reading up on uh, sort of Appalachian uh, superstition and folklore. There's a great series of books called Foxfire that was put together by some research groups and students and professors in, in, a, in a university in northern Georgia. And so I started dealing with those um, those types of issues or that type of thinking. And I, uh, from that point, what is what is carried over? Um, well, I should probably take a step back here. Um, my most recent work, recent body of work, I would say, has been focused on sort of uh, 
or before the work that I'm making now. It's just like, it's such a long line, it's kind of hard for me to keep track, but, uh, you know, like probably uh, two to three years in the past, a lot of that work was sort of based on hex signs and Pennsylvania Dutch, so still very American, still very, like, much rooted in early American imagery, um, early American paintings, folk paintings and things like that have always been absolutely... Uh, intriguing to me. Um, the problem that I kept running into is that when you're making work like that, and I know there's many artists that are make, that are making work like some big heavy hitters, obviously, or Claire Rojas is a big painter who's sort of using that vocabulary of early American painters. Um, Margaret Kilgallen was, uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of people that are using that vocabulary. The problem that I always ran into was that people thought that I was being ironic, uh, and people there's sort of like this underlying like joke that I that I can't paint better, and so um, it's it's like I'm trying to make bad paintings, and, uh, and and nobody can accept it as anything but that, and that was always really disheartening to me. I mean, I I didn't encounter that too much, but I think when people were really honest, that's what came up, um, and so I. So this summer I had a lot of great time in the studio. It was just amazing to kind of wake up more or less five days a week, go into the studio for about eight hours a day. Um, what I came upon was because I've still been doing my reading in superstition and still been doing my reading in folk traditions. Um, I started sort of, when I, if I thought about it really hard, I could probably remember what the gateway was. Um, but in terms of content, but in terms of physicality, uh, I hadn't been painting very much. I was taking photographs uh, a lot of times, and I was kind of making some sculptures. But I, I, uh, I started thinking about um, constellations and how previous cultures had sort of been way more involved in, had to be, you know, had to be involved in sort of like the phases of the moon in terms of planting vegetables or, I mean, in, and, it, and it goes from it being a, a, a measure of time uh, to sort of this idiosyncratic thing where like there's a lot of Appalachian folklore, Appalachian folklore about, um, you know, if you have a dream about a, a dead tooth during a full moon, it sort of predicts death or there's all these sort of like weird uh, to the sky and uh, the phases of the moon and the constellations that we can see. So I started making these paintings compositionally based off uh, the constellations in the sky. And um, and it was a testament, too, to something that I've been uh, working on, something that Amy and I both have been working on lately, is gardening and sort of trying to be as self-subsistent as possible. Um, and, and so raising vegetables, planting, we're, we're both very much involved in, like right now, the biggest thing on my mind is that I've got, uh, I've got to plant the garlic at some point, uh, soon. Otherwise we're not going to have garlic in the spring. And it's, and it's, and it's just this way of slowing down and thinking about things that, um, that are important to me, uh, beyond, um, you know, watching dumb TV or something like that. So, um, so the, so the new work, I think, one of the reasons it came about is that it's a direct connection to uh, how I live my life and how Amy and I live our lives. Is that it's, 
uh, we're trying to be sort of more observant to what's around us, what goes on around us uh, in sort of the, the natural world, and hence trying to participate a little bit more in, in that. Um, the other big thing that happened, and, I, and I talk, I've talked to a couple of people about this, but uh, because I had such a vested interest in Twombly when I was an undergrad, when he died, it just like sent me into a tailspin, and I, I had like a sort of crisis of, of, of belief or something that, mm-hmm. that I just couldn't understand why I wasn't painting more, and so <laughs> I, I really started painting more, at least uh, partially in response to Twombly's death. I'm seeing some of his paintings again, and just last weekend, got to go to Philadelphia and see the gallery that they have there. Of, uh, I think there's about eight. And, I, and I, it's obviously not a direct aesthetic uh, uh, relationship between Twombly's work and my work, but uh, just that handling of paint and that sort of ex- exploration on the paint surf on the painting surface. Uh, is what Twombly's death sort of reminded me that I'd forgotten about. Interesting, interesting. Sorry, that's a really long answer. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, it's like I was saying to you before, I mean, I love these conversations. You know, I I think that there's such a, you learn a lot from talking to different people. And, you know, I think it's just something that kind of goes hand in hand with with all of it. Um, So... In terms of uh, working through a piece, um, I mean, do you obviously there's a there's a reach research kind of component to it, or, or readings that you've been kind of talking about, and you know that that might be something. Well, it is something that I that I kind of like to talk about. But in terms of just, um, I guess, the evolution of a piece, I mean, do you work on multiple pieces at once? Do you yeah. use like your sketchbook to come up with ideas? How how do you wind up? I mean, you, you talked a little bit about the idea of just basing the compositions off those constellations, mm-hmm. um, but do you kind of get in there and just kind of react then to what it is that you're putting down, or? Yeah, I think, uh, so, I think I've got answers to a lot of what you're asking them. For the constellations specifically, I've been uh, doing the ones that are visible during the month, so right now I'm at the end of October. I didn't get a chance to finish all the October ones. Uh, it's been a pretty busy month, but kind of just go uh, see what I can see out in the sky, which usually produces very few results um, because of I, I live in a city. I live in Des Moines, uh, and it's just a lot of times hard to see the constellations without driving out or going to these observatories, so I'll, I'll sort of check that information on the internet and see what I should be seeing in the night sky uh, at this time of year. And so I've got my list, my drawings of uh, the constellations that are observable from the northern hemisphere during October. I'll sketch those on a panel. And then, uh, yeah, it's a lot of it's just a sort of straight-up reaction to uh, to those constellations. It's certainly uh, what one of the things that the... Uh, they're not, you know, they have very few references to it actually being a constellation. They're actually more rooted in abstraction, and especially the things that painting and abstraction can do that a lot of other things can't. So uh, to bring up, like, uh, mass void reversal or, or things like weaving uh, color bands in and out 
that that is a like sort of visual phenomenon that we could do on the computer for sure, but it's it's something different, I think, when it's on a painting surface. Um, and I do I work on multiple ones at the same time, so usually I have four or five going. Uh, and that's the the hardest thing for me lately has been that feeling of uh, when you start four or five, you just feel like you know I don't know if I can swear, but you feel like shit. Um, <laughs> And you know what I mean? You feel like they're never going to be resolved. It's like this, right. it's like this journey that, I, I, you know, as, as conscious as I am of myself and my identity as a creative person, I cannot figure out how to get past that. I mean, there's always this point where I feel like I'm worthless and I'm not <laughs> making good paintings. Uh, and I wish there was just like a pill we could take because uh, that is one prescription drug that I would certainly take if right. it can help us not feel like shit about a body of work. But um, And so so it's working through that that I... So once I get that sort of feeling of loss and then I work through it, and that's where I feel like I, I'm, I'm always in the studio. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's kind of like I asked a guy one time, a, a guy who was raised Buddhist, how often he meditated, and he said, I'm always meditating. Right. Well, of course you are, you know, <laughs> um, and and that's how I feel. Like once I get over that hump, I feel like I'm always in the studio. It's even if I'm doing something else, I'm I'm still thinking about the studio work. So, um, and I think there was one more question in there, but I'm I, th- I think thinking. that I think that pretty much kind of covers it. Um, okay, sweet. But um, so I have fun. I have a fun version of this. Um, but in terms of the, in terms of, uh, you know, you've talked a little bit about some of the things that you read, um, and talked a little bit about mythology and I don't know, it, it, there's just a really interesting kind of component, um, and kind of an awareness of, of the past. Um, but what, so, so, I mean, I, I'm guessing that you just read everything. Um, I, I, myself, I, I find that I get, I, I get wrapped up in really dumb things like the, um the mythological story arc of the Halloween series, oh, you know, nice. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of ridiculous in that regards, but there, there is that little level of it to me. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, do you, are you mostly then strictly, you know, like about these kinds of histories learning about them? Um, do you have anything that's kind of fluffy like that, that doesn't matter at all? Like Michael Myers doesn't matter at all when you're going to be dead. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I mean, I think you know me well. Well, hopefully, you know me well enough to know that I'm an absolute uh, horror film buff. So right. I, I digest. I, I, you know, I, I wish I could sound more intellectual here, but I watch TV nonstop when I'm in the studio. Right. Um, and that goes from horror films right now, uh, though it's changed. I mean, one of the reasons I got into horror films was because. Uh, when we were growing up, every Friday the 13th, they would have a Friday the 13th marathon on a couple channels. And right. every Halloween, they would have a Halloween marathon. Uh, luckily, there's, I think AMC is a holdout and maybe one other channel. I think like FX or something is showing horror movies. But even FX is, is like urban legend and crap that I can't even watch. Um, so, I, But I've got a, I've amassed a collection of DVDs or I have Netflix and I just watch films like that nonstop. I, uh, probably the most revealing thing about me as a person would be that I've, uh, I've seen most episodes of Law & Order, uh, including all 20 seasons of the original and then everything from uh, Special Victims Unit and Criminal Intent. I haven't gotten into some of the fringe ones yet, but that's probably the fluffiest thing. Uh, 
about me that that is pretty funny to think about. Um, I'm also sort of a you know weird weirdly enough, I am absolutely in love with uh, this science fiction writer named China Mayville, who uh, wrote a book called Perdido Street Station, which I'm I'm going so slowly in that book because I don't want it to end. I'm just absolutely enthralled with everything in that book, and I haven't read a book like that in a long time, so hmm. it's been pretty nice. It doesn't, I mean, it, it's funny because I can pick up stuff, like I've, I've done some reading in alchemy and hermetics, uh, and, and there are references to that kind of stuff in, in uh, Mayville's book, but it still, for the most part, doesn't uh, outwardly inform my work it more informs me as a human being, which then sort of is distilled into my work. So, Interesting, interesting. Um, and obviously, it's, considering you do so much reading, um, and, and especially with the way that your title works, I mean, do you, do you also do a lot of writing? I do. Yeah, um, yeah I do. And, I, and not to end, too, this is another plug, Dave, I apologize, but um, that uh, the blog that I've started or the online journal that I've started, Methods of Being, has been sort of a testament to that. Like I, I love reading writing uh, by sort of creative writing by artists because I think we we already have this sort of propensity for the creative act, and so when we try to write, uh, it's it's less than perfect. It's less than sort of like what a you know, PhD or an MFA creative writing program does. Uh, but I I just kind of really appreciate that. Um, so I yeah I write and I read I love reading things that people send me through that for that uh, submissions for that online journal uh, and I and I've been working on some book ideas I think unfortunately that's the thing that has taken that has been sacrificed the most with a full time job and uh, and full time studio practice and and a family and gardening and and, and all that sort of stuff sure. um, so that's what's taken the biggest hit uh, immediately. But I'm still working on some, and and additionally, this kind of ties into my bodies of work. One of the things that's been not present in this newest body of work is text. Um, a lot of the previous bodies of work always had text in them, uh, and so I'm I'm yearning to make text pieces, and, I, and it and it looks like it might actually manifest itself in a completely separate body of text-based work. Um, so I'll see how that works out. Bill Conger's kind of going through the same exact thing uh, now, too. I mean, he's making a lot of very interesting text pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to try – I'm working with him to put out a book uh, through Methods of Being. Uh, that would be like a limited edition run uh, of his text-based pieces. So I'm, I'm completely enthralled with, like, the, the – uh, the ability that text has to communicate and, and sort of what that implies. Interesting. Um, it, could you talk a little bit about uh, just how, what kind of materials you use? Um, aside from just, you know, obviously uh, uh, paint and graphite and that, because um, it, it seems too that, you know, found materials or kind of seeing something or responding to something, I, I guess I, could, I would almost think of as a material um, but how, how does how does that work in terms of your 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 work? Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but um, it's it's something that I've been conscious of all my life. Is that like I a lot you know along with that sort of self sustainability aim that I have, um, I also try to reuse materials or pick up things. Um, I I I 
I've always wanted them to be tr- tr- transformative. I don't, I don't want something that I pick up on the street to look like that necessarily. Um, so that's always been a part of it. Or um, I, I've collected ephemera for a really long time. Uh, I, I, I helped out a retired art education professor at ISU uh, when uh, I helped her clean out her house, and she's had loads and loads of papers that she'd saved. Uh, for you know, thirty or forty years, and so anything she didn't want, I would anything she didn't want, I would take um, and sort of keep. And then uh, Amy last year worked in an office in Drake where somebody had sort of stockpiled documents, like she found uh, worth of canceled checks uh, from a retired professor at Drake uh, who passed away. And, and they're all from like the, uh, I think the sixties and the seventies. So just weird stuff like that. We have a, we have a sort of stockpile or an archive of in our house. Um, and so those types of things, the, the importance to them, I think is that for me, uh, is that they have a history to them, uh, more so than like acrylic paint that I'm squeezing out of the tube. Um, I'm, I, I've always felt, felt connected to acrylic paint. Like there's not, there's nothing that doesn't make me interested in it, but uh, it's just manufactured and I have very little control as to what that can, you know, there's only so many infinite combinations that I can use that, but these found things that I, that I am lucky to have in my life come with this like extraordinary meaning attached to them. So um, and then even too, I'm, I'm really interested in palimpsest or the, the, you know, the thought that something can leave its trace. And so uh, the other addition I've been kind of working with in these newest paintings is masking tape that I use to mask off straight lines occasionally and then just let them build up sort of that texture and kind of uh, create little uncontrolled paintings in and of themselves. Um, that's been pretty interesting to me too. Uh, I'm really connected <coughs> to wood. I don't. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I think I could. I can sort of, you know, uh, lie a little bit and say that it just comes from my family history. And my grandfather and his grandfather were both loggers in Appalachia, and uh, just a family of woodworkers. But I, there's something about it that uh, that's just monumental to me. And so I, I don't ever use canvas. I mean, I've, I've used it a couple times, but it just feels contrived to me. And, uh, when I'm working with sculpture, I'm often working with found wood and things like that. So, um, so that's been another big connection for me in my life. And so just in terms of that too, I mean, obviously these, um, these most recent pieces that I've seen too, incorporating a lot more sculpture um, into, into the paintings. Um, is that something that you're going to, I guess, continue out in different ways? I mean, do you ever, do you ever fancy yourself uh, becoming a video artist? Maybe getting a beret. <laughs> uh, I have, I have fancied myself. I don't know that I ever will make the jump. <laughs> right. I'm kind of allergic to computers. I mean, I, I love them, and I, and I, they're absolutely necessary. I mean, I, you know, I, I might regret saying this. But Facebook has been one of the, the single best things for my studio practice because so many more people see my work when I post it on Facebook than I do on my website. Um, uh, not that I'm not going to have a website because I think I need that sort of professional right. portfolio site. But uh, 
but I, yeah, I, I, I've tried. I'm, <clears throat> the difficulty that I have with video or uh, anything beyond installation is how I kind of think about it. So installation to me, I guess, is like just second nature in the sense that I could easily assemble a group of paintings and sculptures, uh, mixed media paintings and sculptures that sort of go together um, in a space specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, but anything beyond that, like video performance and things like that, I, I just are too foreign to me right now. Um, it's not, it's not to say they won't. Uh, and I, and they sort of the, to contradict myself, I've started working on a music album and I'm starting to work on books, uh, that are completely separate from my studio practice, but just sort of other ways for me to exercise creativity. Uh, and, and that would be a great question. And I'm going to ask that you don't ask me, but like, why do I, I don't know why I find myself sort of just starting all these new projects all the time because I, you know, half the time they never get done right? and nobody will ever hear it, but it's just sort of, you know, when I was in junior high, I think I had like 18 bands <laughs> that were played together once, but you know, right. I've got the logo design and our first three albums right now. Uh, you know, so it's just, I get, I think that's always been a part of my personality as a creative person. Uh, so it, it hasn't stopped. So it's not completely out of the question for me to do video. Right. Uh, my recent fascination the last two days has been holograms and mirrors. So I think if you, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you, you should come have a talk to me if like you see all the paintings disappear and then it's just all mirror based work. <laughs> but, uh, so these things like just kind of fancy, you know, catch my fancy and, and I mess around with them for a short amount of time. And then like, I, I don't often show them to everybody. So, well, it's, it's really interesting to me because even, um, you know, just talking to Arjan re recently, um, there, there's something that's kind of compelling, you know, just about the history of painting yeah. and image making. And, um, you know, and again, just to kind of, for my kind of confession, um, you know, it seemed in graduate school that, that painting again is just something that is looked at as like this, this thing that should really be left behind for whatever is kind of new. Yeah. And I, I really, I mean, especially for myself, I mean, cause I've, I've dabbled in, in different things. Um, but I don't know, there's, you really kind of want them not to feel foreign, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so there's something about the way that you're, you're kind of talking about that. It makes so much sense to me, yeah. you know, cause yeah. you could maybe force yourself to do, you know, this specific kind of piece, but if it's not really a part of who you are, I mean, it seems like a, like a way to try to become more, I guess, hip or, yeah. you know, try to feel like you're fitting a niche. Um, yeah. and, and so you've kind of talked about already, you know, what you want to get out of this work and obviously all of that in terms of what you put into it. Can you talk a little bit about, um, maybe the, the way that you, it's received by, by people, um, maybe what kind of stories they bring to it or, you know, maybe what you want to want them to get out of it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's, it's funny because I haven't, uh, heard, I mean, I've heard a lot in terms of Facebook. Um, I, I haven't heard a lot of, I guess, sort of criticism or, or people talking about the work. Um, I, I think what's, what something that's important to me about it and, and this certainly goes back to what you're saying about the sort of foundation that painting provides. Um, I, I think what's 
what I've heard the most frequently is that people are are you know complimenting me because my personality is showing through and uh, like it looks like I'm engaged in my work and that's that's kind of a great compliment to get because I uh, not that I, I wasn't making work that I was engaged with before, but you know when you're struggling with what you want to make, it can be problematic and, and, it, and it can look a little contrived or your ideas and your and the, and the actual presence of the pieces aren't matching up. Uh, so I think that that's what I've heard the most um, from people is that the uh, there's I mean there's still some ambiguity in terms of what I'm talking about and what's on the what's on the painting. But uh, it seems like people are kind of accepting it as as, as uh, interesting visual work and uh, and sort of engaging for them to look at. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. I might. Yeah, I think so. Okay, sweet. Um, and, and so this is we've got a couple couple more things coming up, um, and I've got a nice easy softball for you. Um, nice. So, <laughs> so so how I mean. You know, obviously, you seem, you know, you've talked a little bit about the idea of becoming more self-sustaining, um, and just generally, I think, come across as, as a very thoughtful individual, um, and especially as a, as a teacher, too. I mean, you know, that's something that's that's extremely challenging uh, when, when dealing with some of the uh, uh, complete apathy that, that washes over uh, certain people, but um, I don't know, could you, could you talk maybe just a little bit about uh, just the way that those kinds of conversations, um, that just general interest in life and just kind of like people's interests, how does that, I guess, influence you or, you know, what, to what degree that's important. And, and obviously I, I, I'm kidding and saying that's a, that's a very short kind of answer because it could kind of be an extremely long one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think, I'm going to try to answer this succinctly, and I don't know how well I'll do, but but I think the uh, interest that I have in conversations and sort of non-art stuff is um, has a lot to do with, uh, I don't know, I, I grew up sort of looking out, outside of myself for how I ought to be, um, and, and, and I think part of that comes from being raised in sort of a, a Western sort of Christian tradition where you're um, looking to something as a role model and that's how you're supposed to sort of succeed in life is to follow that role model. And, and, and I'm not, I mean, I'm framing it in terms of religion and then sort of trying to make it bigger. You know, you look, role models don't just come in the form of, of, of Jesus or anything like that. I mean, it comes in all sorts of shapes and colors, like your parents you look to your parents at some point as role models and then at some point you rebel um, and you look to, you know, other people, like your peers, you look at older students that you're uh, sort of in school with as role models. Um, and then, you know, at some point I, I, I just had to turn that around and start focusing on the inside uh, of myself and sort of, sort of not be self-reliant in terms of uh, rebelling against what everybody else was saying, but just sort of concentrating on uh, my own thoughts and ideas as a way to sort of, um, you know, make myself uh, sort of function better, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's getting into kind of weird psychological stuff. But, right. Um, 
but I think that that's sort of been a basis for me. And so in that sense, like, you know, listening to people tell stories is probably one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, and, and, and just hearing what other, where other people are coming from and, and sort of hearing like narratives of people's lives. And that's, uh, that's definitely something rooted in the Midwest. It's rooted in Appalachia. You know, a lot of the, the slower parts of the United States, uh, I think that, that that sort of functions as a part of uh, those people's identities. Uh, and, and that's something that's always been pretty important to me. How that plays into my work, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 can, I, can, I can move it to, to a more uh, self-indicting realm, too. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about law and order. Um, <laughs> but... Um, do you, uh, so I, I mean, obviously, I'm, 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 I take it that you listen to the, to music and other stuff like that. Um, is, is there any any other just kind of little interesting things that you might want to share? Um, we can judge if they're interesting or not. Maybe maybe they won't be. I don't know. <laughs> well, I you know I've had that. I, I told you that like for some reason I got a, a hair in my brain to um, to make mirrors sometime for some reason yesterday. I don't think it'll actually work. The, the chemical that you need to make a mirror is actually really expensive. But um, I, I think typically how I how I proceed with life is that when it's it's always about this time that I say uh, I have to figure out I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to do something this winter. Um, I I have a little bit of that uh, seasonal affect disorder, that sad disease in the winter, um, and so I try to have a hobby to do. And this this winter, I've decided that I'm going to learn how to make cheese, uh, make some art, art artisanal cheese. And I think I think you and I have that in common. I mean, right. I feel like every every once in a while, I'll see that you're roasting coffee, uh, you know, green coffee beans, or making some some pretty unique dishes. So. Uh, that's been nice to see too. Coffee roasting is something that I highly recommend everybody to check out. Yeah, for um, sure. It's it's easy, you know. I mean, it's it's not as difficult as you'd think, and uh, just kind of produces these great results. Well, I mean, I I mean, it's interesting because I mean, I I realize just because I have to put an order in for for green beans here soon, I haven't ordered coffee since April. Nice. You know, and I'm nice. for some reason I'm really kind of proud of that. Just and you know, it's silly, but I mean, if you really add up like the cost of a quality bag of coffee, yeah, you know, like each week, it, it really comes out to a lot of money a year. For sure. Which for sure. and not to mention the the pride that you have in doing it yourself. You know? I yeah, mean, I think something that we're and for some time now. You know, we've, we're we're a culture and society that that needs what you know wants what it wants right now and wants to be able to go to the store to get it. And so we're we're losing that a lot of that pride in doing things ourselves. Um, you know, so sorry to, I might interrupt you there a little bit, Dave. But oh no, no problem. Um, do do you have a do you have any guilty pleasure movies that you'd be embarrassed to say that you? <laughs> We'll watch over and over, but I and oh, yeah. and and just this. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, Halloween stuff related things going on now. But um, for me, I'm thinking of specifically movies like uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Especially about the first hour of that movie is one of the funniest movies I think ever. Um, and I'm I'm also trying to track this down. I, I wish there was a way to just do this, and maybe this would kind of let a cat out of the bag. Um, 
but I really wanted to outfit almost everybody I know with a copy of the Walker Texas Ranger movie that was made after the series. Um, if you haven't managed to find it, I would check it out on YouTube. Um, but um, it's such a strange mixture of the television show in a, in a way trying to modernize it um, yeah. with it like a, like a CSI type type spin to it. So you really have no idea what's going on with it at first. It seems like a big Saturday Night Live skit for about 20 <laughs> minutes before you realize, like, no, this is a real movie. But anyways, I mean, is there, is there any kind of little things that you that you just absolutely love in that regards? Yeah, I, I'll give you probably the most uh, sort of one that nobody would ever be able to guess. And I'm saying this because I, uh, you know, I appreciate culture enough to be able to say, like, I watched the never ending story a million times when I was a kid. Um, and, and that, and I think that's a little bit different. You know, there's, there's a nostalgia factor to that, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of justifies its existence as a guilty pleasure. But the one that has absolutely no justification and, and contradicts all of the, uh, complaining that I do about <laughs> Disney movies and, uh, and sort of romantic comedies is a film. I can't, I can't even think of the director right now, but a film called the family stone. Okay. Uh, was made, you know, I think it was made like five or six years ago or something like that. It has Claire Danes and Sarah Jessica Parker. It's like the most sort of stereotypically weird, romantic, coming home for Christmas film. Uh, but for some reason, I can watch it over and over again. I mean, I've probably seen it, uh, you know, 40 times since it came out. And in fact, one day, uh, when I lived in Bloomington next to Kendra and Ryan Pates, uh, we watched it three times in a row. It was on wow. television three times in a row. And we watched most of all, uh, almost all of those three showings of it. So. Right. Yeah, weird. Yeah, but that's my probably worst guilty pleasure. Well, I mean, it's, well, it's interesting to me because, and I'm going to get a little tangential here, but um, if you've seen the movie uh, 12 Monkeys... Yes. Um, you know, one of really one of my favorite movies. Um, but I'm I'm always compelled to movies where when I watch them, depending on I guess where I'm at, I might have a different perspective on it. Um, yes, and sure. that movie in particular, like I mean, there's times that I'm just like this guy. You know, he's just entirely crazy. And then there's times where I'm just like, you know, this is this you know this is all something else. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's something that changes up a lot. And for me, it's interesting because. I don't know. I, I kind of have that compulsive nature in some regards too, um, and I'm I, I don't know. I'm just kind of interested in seeing how that that plays out, I guess, in my life. Um, and so it's it's interesting to hear you kind of talking about that because I I don't know. I I, I rewatch things just for that sake too. You know, I'm because um, I love them, but I mean, I, I think I don't know. It's weird because there's there's ways that I think they can kind of teach you about something, or sure. you know, even if it's just a recognition of what what you're feeling at the moment or, um, you know, the way something else might've happened. I'm, I'm actually rewatching lost for, I think the fourth time, Sweet. which is kind of insane because I guess it's 108 hours. Um, but, and, and I, I think this also really getting tangentialized here, but, um, you know, I also played a lot of video games too. And I think that show in particular kind of really, relates to some certain aspects of role-playing games but um anyways yeah. I, I don't want to get i don't want to get too crazy here 
um, no, I, talking I, about tele. This will become the television podcast. <laughs> you know, I love. I watched. I watched Dexter all throughout. You know, oh seven and oh eight. You know, um, but I, it's interesting how all the how all that stuff kind of works in terms of keeping me keeping me company. I guess while I'm mixing colors or you know whatever. But um, so well, just. Okay. A, I'm sorry. Okay. What I'm gonna keep talking about TV for a minute here, but uh, I mean it, you. AMC is like just killing it with TV shows and they're and they're all repeats of stuff that's come out, you know. The Walking Dead is nothing new, but it, that is an amazing show to watch to me because it it actually adheres to sort of older storytelling traits uh and and structure that just makes it so much easier to watch than a lot of like newer TV shows. I mean, I feel like there's a handful of shows out there that are interesting, but AMC is really kind of just—they're you know, so badass right now in terms of TV. It's—it's—it's it's, it's fun to be interested in watching TV. Um, and I was going to say too that we actually got to go when we were in Philadelphia. We got to go to where Twelve Monkeys was shot uh, at Eastern State Penitentiary, which is—I would highly recommend. Interesting. Uh, for anybody, is completely transformative experience for me. It's just a really bizarre place. Um, and, and 12 Monkeys is based off La Jete, which if you haven't seen that, uh, highly recommend it. I have. Cool. I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better, better shut up. Um, well, especially cause I'll just, I'll just wind up getting more and more sidelined by, by tangents, which isn't, which isn't a bad thing. I, I was going to just say, and this could be something that if anybody is listening that hasn't discovered this, um, if you haven't watched any of the, um, uh, anything on Cinemassacre, the, the website, I, I'd, I'd check that out, or even Red Letter Media, who also just completely destroys movies in terms of critique form. But um, nice. um, in, in terms of, you know, you were talking about The Walking Dead um, and kind of borrowing, not borrowing, but just kind of going back to some of these things that are very tried and true. Um, it's interesting to me how, you know, as a culture, I mean, even, even though people talk about, like, movies as being something that's supposed to be reflective of culture, but I think it's interesting because... You know, for example, if I, I, I know somebody that kind of passed on information, even something like the movie Rambo, um, or First Blood, I should say, there's one person that dies in that movie. Um, by the time that they made whatever Rambo 8 or, or whatever the last one was, it, you know, it's like something like a hundred and some other people. Um, you know, old old horror movies, I mean, almost kind of prided themselves in, especially like, say, the first Halloween there's yeah. all of this anticipation that's built up in a very like Hitchcock kind of sense, as opposed to, um, you know, um, Hostel or some other movie that I haven't seen. That's just kind of like these kids go to a beach and they will get their heads cut off and all sorts of things. But um, I don't well, know. I think it's... this is important too, and and you kind of referred to the reading that you've been doing about Halloween uh, as as being fluff. But I mean, I one of the influential thing that happened to me when I was an undergrad is I talked to the painter Derek Bish who last I knew I, I don't know I've kind of been contacting him over Facebook but I think he teaches at UW-Madison or is in the you know Wisconsin somewhere um talk to me about are you still there Dave? yep oh, okay sorry your picture froze um the talk to me about I just told him what I was reading and I was reading sort of like these art theory things and he's like well, that's kind of silly. I don't think you need to read those. You need to read Gaston Bachelard's The Poetics of Space and uh, uh, 
uh, Italo Calvino's seven six memos for the next millennium, and I was just like, oh, that's kind of interesting, and I and I it took me a while to understand why, but art criticism is so self reflective that I think it's it's uninteresting to me a lot of times, um, and it's and it just sort of only talks about art in terms of art, and that, and that's really uninteresting to me. Um, I think what reading Calvino does is because it sort of encompasses uh, his assessment of literature and mythology, it's a, it's a sort of structure for me to sort of approach my own artwork. Or like how if we read about film or if we read about television and, and, and watch television as cultural critics, the way that we sort of assess those things, I think, always has the room in our studio. You know, it has room for us to quite sort of... Uh, use that as a template uh, for how we approach our paintings or how we approach our artwork in the studio. So, Well, and, and I think something that bridges a, a, one of the last couple questions perfectly, because um, uh, I, I agree with you, um, you know, I, I, I just, I got to see uh, the Mark Bradford show up, oh, um, yeah. you know, maybe like a couple months ago. Um, there, there's just, I mean, the, there's, you know, you can, it's great to, to go to pan through, you know, an art forum and kind of see something reviewed about, you know, okay, this, this is an important exhibition, but, um, you know, it's just an entirely different thing standing in front of like a, a Julie Maritou painting, yeah. you know, um, For sure. what, what was the last, I mean, what, and maybe there's a lot of this, but, um, you know, what was the last, uh, show or exhibition that really just kind of blew you away? Whew, that's a great um, I, you know, I'm going to start with the short answer. And then when we were in Philly, we saw, uh, an exhibition in the lower part of the Philadelphia Museum of Art called Here and Now, which was, uh, you know, seven or eight Philadelphia based artists, uh, working on paper predominantly. Uh, and it blew me away. Uh, a, a group, uh, two guys called the Dufalo Brothers were, their work was great. Um, there was a, uh, I'm, I'm going to blank. Oh, actually, I've got the names written down right here in my little handy sketchbook. Um, Serena Perone uh, was, a, was an artist who works with wood blocks. And so she'll make these sort of like large wood block or, you know, maybe they're screen print or Italio, but they, they have the feeling of a wood block print. And they're, you know, I would say five foot by seven or eight foot. And then they'll have these really delicate uh, tra- graphite drawings in the center of them. So the, the wood block will kind of be this frame uh, for which you to look uh, through into this really delicate graphite drawing. I mean, it, it, the reason I loved her work in a lot of ways was because uh, in Universal Studios uh, movies like King Kong or something like that where, where the sets were so so like linked to a uh, a layering of space you know what I mean like it's very clear where the foreground middle ground and background is um, so that was great uh, the the long answer is uh, the Des Moines Art Center is very fortunate uh, right now to have a show of Dario Robletto's work and uh, even more fortunate was that uh, the Art Center worked it out so he Dario came and worked with uh, a, a group of students in the art department here, and I got to sit in on his uh, seminar with the students. And that dude is like 
on fire. I mean, he is one of the smartest guys that I've ever heard speak. Uh, has all these quirks and idiosyncrasies in terms of what he's interested in, but it completely makes sense. Um, he's a he's a Renaissance man. He he'll be able to talk to you about uh, Lazarus species, which uh, which are uh, species. Sorry, it's my cell phone. Uh, <laughs> um, he'll be able to talk to you about Lazarus species, which is our, which are uh, species of animals that were thought to be extinct, but then have resurfaced. Uh, he's an ab. I think he just gorges on uh, the Guinness Book of World Records. He knows all the super centurions that are alive right now, uh, which are the people that are over a hundred years old. Um, and he knows where they live. He knows their names. He, it's just, he was just an amazing guy to see. Um, and his, uh, his materials are uh, astounding to say the least. Like I, it's, it's weird to talk to a guy who uh, actually, you know, knows how to purchase cave bear claws. I mean, I, I just didn't think that I would ever like talk to somebody like that. Um, so Dario's show at the, at the art center right now has been, uh, just great to have here and it was great to meet him and talk. And he's such an, like one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the world too. So, um, and, and one last plug where, where I'm pretty excited about the next show that's coming in. Uh, to Anderson Gallery here at Drake is a is a Kentridge William Kentridge print show. Wow! Uh, so we'll get to have some of those here in, in in house too. So that's great. Yeah, that's that's actually one of my stock answers because I I remember um, seeing Kentridge and at the MCA again, you know, back in like two thousand two maybe or yeah. something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And just yeah, I mean, there's certain people that can really just mesmerize you, you know. Yeah, uh, and you know, and something. I mean, something on the fly here. You know, I was talking to Arjan a bit about, um, you know, this balance of kind of living life while kind of making art. I mean, do you do you think that that kind of fame or that kind of uh, I don't know direction for somebody's work? I mean, do you think that's something that's just like a obsessive? You know, something that is the result of, like, an obsessive, like, working through these ideas and investment in the studio? Or do you think that, you know, partially, obviously, there's going to be some kind of market for, you know, people to be a superstar so they can, you know, sell this to, to really large collections? But, um, does some, I mean, I'm, I'm, does that some, is that something that interests you? Or, I mean, are you just, you know, more con content to kind of just be working on whatever it is that you want to work on? No, I think about this all the time. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's, I think my ideal, um, you know, being in the studio and then just having to tend to sort of the urban farm that we have, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? That, that's, that's sort of, uh, not that I want to be home. I mean, I would take walks, trust me, but sure. Uh, that's sort of ideal functioning for me, so I think about it quite a bit. And I, and I, um, the issue that I keep coming back to is that even if it were a scenario where I had that sort of commercial success, um, I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like the things that are going on in the world right now, I, there's there's something very weird about the art market that I don't trust, right? Uh, and I don't, and it, 
and I sort of talked to my talk to my students about it as like it's like beanie babies, you know. Mm-hmm. When those things came about. They like sort of artificially uh, fluctuated the market, and now there's just like beanie babies everywhere that nobody has any use for, right? Uh, except for their original purpose, which was stuffed animals. Um, you know, they tried to make them these collector things, and it's just ridiculous. Um, right. I, I, I think the art market's a little. Uh, a little insincere in that way too. I don't. I don't understand it completely, so I, I try not to talk about it too much. But from my own perspective, I, I know that I, I will never, ever, ever, ever want, if at all possible, a gallery um, or or myself to make like thirty thousand dollars off of a single painting. Right. Um, I just think that I think prices are too inflated or inflated, and I'm happy to get you know. Uh, you know, a thousand dollars for a painting, um, and I, and I, my idea again, my if the world is perfect and I get everything I want, I'd like to be able to try to find a gallery that is willing to work with me on that, um, so that they can stay afloat too. You know, but that like that there's sort of this relationship where we know that uh, my work is going to top out at a certain degree, and not, and I'm and I'm not looking to sort of like fund. Uh, you know, a fleet of jaguars or, <laughs> or, or something like that. Uh, maybe more chickens, or, or right? But but not certainly not cars. So sure, yeah, it's, it's difficult for me, and I and I don't know, I don't know what the best answer is. It's, it's really bizarre. Right, right. Well, and and so um, my my last thing again is: is there anything else that that's kind of coming up that that we should be looking for? I mean, obviously we. We'll have uh, information for your website and hopefully some images up on Studio Break, but anything else we should be looking for? I'm really excited. I mean, for the first time, I've been asked to do do a couple prints. I'm going to do a print with uh, uh, the students at Minnesota State Mankato with Eric Watercutty and his, his class. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Nicholas Santenover just asked me to work with his advanced printmaking class, and we're going to try to make uh, multiples of those sculptures that I've been working on, so... Awesome. Uh, that'll be kind of an interesting process to work with them, uh, and and those visiting artist gigs are are great. I mean, they're just so revitalizing, and uh, you get to work with people who are interested, and you get to like kind of talk about where things are coming from, where you're coming from, where things are coming from, and it's just some of the best conversations. So keep a lookout. I'll post I'll post those on my website and Facebook probably as soon as we get those done. But uh, those both those should be in the spring of next year. So of course, yeah, no problem. So again, uh, Ben, thanks for being here. Thanks, Dave. I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. It's great to catch up. And um, I want to thank you, too, for doing this because I think this is uh, one of the best resources that <clears throat> I can point my students to. Normal or hearing normal artists working every day, uh, you know, and none of these highfalutin people that, you know, we see on the Internet. All the right, time. right. So, well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Thanks again to Ben for joining us today. You can find out more about him and his artwork by visiting studiobreak.wordpress.com. Please leave us some feedback, and we'll see you soon.